Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. In a long white garment, they were frightened. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome and some of these women who had followed the Lord was coming early on the morn of resurrection to bear spices anoint his body but when they arrived the stone was already removed and he was gone and this young man that other scriptures declared to be an angel of the Lord spoke to them these things if you'll look just one more time at verse 7 the words of the angel was this he's not here you know look where he's laid but go your way tell his disciples and Peter Peter was one of the disciples but it says go to go your way tell his disciples and Peter particularly hones in on him points him out this morning I would like to minister this today go tell Peter I love him go tell Peter very specific not just a generality, but really honed in and said, go tell him that I love him. Let's pray today. I feel like God has laid this upon my heart with purpose and reason this morning. Amen. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, today, God, to that end, Lord, that what you've brought into the womb of my spirit, God, that you will birth, Lord, on this morning. God, that you will speak not just in a generality today, but specifically God to someone Lord that is setting in this place God someone Lord Jesus God that needs to hear needs to be drawn out with the words of Christ with words of love with words of adoration with words Lord of hope with words Lord Jesus today God of a possibility I pray master today God that you would touch us Lord this morning God anoint each and every single one of us in this place will not fail to honor you and praise you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Everyone say amen. Can we give a great hand clap to the Lord before we are seated here? I love you, Jesus. Oh, I honor you, Lord, today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Go tell Peter, I love him. Mary Ann Bird writes, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip crooked nose, lopsided teeth, 
in a garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, happy, sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test at the school, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. And finally, it was my turn, and I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? She says, I waited for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper from her desk, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. That coming upon the ears of someone that had been deformed since birth, convinced that she was unlovable, hearing unexpected yet very assuring words that another person desired her outside of her family, even in her state of imperfection, brought a sense of comfort to her. And our hearts are touched by such stories. I've seen some faces when I said those words, the oohs and the ahs, or isn't that precious or isn't that sweet because it strengthens our confidence in society. It strengthens our confidence in humanity. But I would like to tell you this morning that this kind was a God idea before it was ever man's idea. No sooner than Adam and Eve transgressed and sowed fig leaves together had God sought them out as normally in the cool of the day. Their state of perfection was no longer. Their state of sinlessness had changed. They were imperfect people now. They had sinned. Nevertheless, the Bible says God still sought them out in their state of imperfection. God still sought them out in their state of now being sinners. He, the Bible tells us in Genesis that he was interested in their whereabouts. There's no indication that God was surprised about what happened or that God was surprised that they had failed or that they had sinned or that they had transgressed, but it does seem like they were a little surprised that God would still want to be where they were, that God of heaven would still be interested in his creation that was now flawed in a failure here by their own guilt and their own shame that they were feeling upon their minds and hearts. The Bible says it drove them from the presence of God. No sooner this had happened and they are trying to find a place to hide from the very presence of God. All the while, that very presence is still looking for them, searching for them, seeking them out in the midst of this first experience that they're having of feeling disappointed of themselves by what they have done with feelings of failures upon their life. God was the first one. It's a God idea for him to look at humanity in their deformed state, their sinning state, 
their state of failure and flaw to say, I still love you. The Bible says in Ezekiel 16 and 4, Ezekiel is speaking by the hand of God, the voice of God to Jerusalem, and he states these words as though it's coming from the Lord. And as for thy nativity, Jerusalem, he's speaking to, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee, thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live everything that the ezekiel the writer here is describing is describing concerning jerusalem everything that was not done for jerusalem like a young child amen and everything that was not done for jerusalem is the way that savages would treat their babies is the way that those that were barbarians would have treated their young they're young that had deformities they're young that they could not support they're young who according to their estimations were unfit for their household savages would abandon them in fields so that while beasts could devour them in their pitiful conditions of deformity and flaws and failures. But God says, Jerusalem, though you were left as one deformed, though you were left as one that was flawed, when I passed by you and I saw the same thing that your parents saw, and I saw the same thing that everybody else saw, I saw your deformity, I saw your unfitness, I saw your pitifulness, I walked by you and I said, hey, why don't you go on and live because I've seen something in you in spite of all of that that was still worth saving. Someone say amen. The Bible says he did for them what their own parents would not do for them. He washed Jerusalem. The Bible says he washed away the blood and he anointed her with oil and that he decked her out in the most far, finest garments that he had. And as he said to Jerusalem then, so he says to every individual that has been deformed by sin or has succumbed to failure since that moment of time, I will I wish you were my son and I wish you were my daughter. I come to preach to this congregation today with people that walked in here with flaws and mistakes and failures and you feel like the outcasts of the world. You've walked into a very place of refuge today because God has walked by you and says I don't care where you came from or where you may be. I declare why don't you get up and live and let me Let me do for you what has not been done for you. Because the fact of the matter is this. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And the fact of the matter is this. Being a part of this network of humanity, I know very well that when we take a, a, a evaluation of our life and our mistakes and our failures and our sins, we are embarrassed. Yeah. 
We are embarrassed by our sin. And oftentimes people attempt to hide the flaws of their life. Almost like the man in New Testament scripture tried to hide his withered hand in the folds of his garment, tucked away so nobody can see it. But that very thing we're trying to hide is what God is in pursuit of. Amen. Not because, amen, he's coming to us, not because of where we are right now, but he anticipates what you and I can be. He sees the wrong. He sees the failure. But he says, I I'm in pursuit because I see something beyond the failure. I see something beyond the flaw. I see something beyond the deformity. And so I'm in pursuit today, not because of who you are, but who I know you can be. Someone say hallelujah. Because there is a time, and I, I stand probably with the masses today. None of us, if I can just say this, none of us, need to feel more inadequate than the next one. Because our need for God is based squarely upon the premise that we all have flawed personalities and tainted lives. And as the old cliche all times is stated, the ground is level at the base of the cross. Yet I felt in my spirit last night, still early this morning when I was still up, that people sit in this place, perhaps even this morning, intimidated by what they perceive is another's perfection. Or at least another's, what they perceive, they're all got it togetherness. They scurry in of the double doors and they scurry out of this place with their hang-ups, with their faults, with their failures, because they, to their estimation, have went too far or done something so horrid that people, and they think sometimes possibly God, won't have any compassion on them. They feel like Christ's call in John 7 to come unto me is littered with all types of qualifications, littered with all type of criteria that they got to meet before they can approach him. But Christ already made the stipulation plain today. He said, if any man, everybody say any man. He said, if any man first, the only qualification for the deformed, the only qualification for the dirty, the only qualification for the abandoned, the only qualification for the failure and the hopeless is that you must be thirsty. Thirsty enough. Thirsty enough to come. Someone say amen. And if that's too general for you, well, that said, any man will just go on and put your name where that's at. If Paul thirst, if Mike thirst, if Fred thirst, if Andrew thirst, if Bob thirst, go on and put your name in that spot. If Sarah thirst, if Josh thirst, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. Whether it be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, or whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're single, or whether you're married whether you're a guest or whether you're a member of this church if you're thirsty come yes Yes. 
isn't a feeling more burdensome than feeling as though you failed someone. Particularly someone that loves you or someone that you may have only recently learned adores you. Someone can tell me about how may I may have failed such and such. If I have no relationship, if I have no connection, if I don't know their estimation of me, that really doesn't go very far. But if I learn that I have done that, and only in the same moment that I learned that, I understand that that person thought I hung the moon for whatever reason. That takes a little bit more weight for me personally because I understand in that, I feel like I've truly let somebody down that had respected me. And so, in our scripture text this morning, and prior to, Peter could not have felt any more of a letdown than the moment after the cock had crowed the last time before the crucifix. Peter was among the first of disciples that were called to follow the Lord. He had spent about three and a half years with Christ and he had steadily during that time received teaching from him. He, he had been selected among the inner three that were allowed to be exposed some of the greater miracles and signs and wonders of the Lord and experience such things with God as, as going to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and, and beholding when Jairus' daughter that was dead was brought back to life. Peter was among that group and we know according to his demeanor and personality that he was a natural born leader but that also soon proved to be he soon proved to be a natural born failure like all of us <laughs> and so a series of events recorded in Mark 14 records a downward spiral for Peter leading up to the crucifix in Mark 14 and verse 27, this is before the Lord has been crucified or even taken. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, his disciples, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But, verse 28 says, after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee. In any wise, likewise also said they and so Christ has come. He says, all is going to be offended of me this night. Peter pipes up and says, you know, it's almost like, you know, doing with your kids sometimes. Peter really is. You know, Christ says this, and anything that you can do contrary to what the one in authority has to say. You're all going to do this, not me. Yeah. Just wait till they get a little older, Brother James. Not me. 
I'm not. Christ told him, even that, Peter, you're going to deny me. Not me. Not me. Lord, if it required me dying with you, I'm going to stay true till the end. However, not to single Peter out. I don't want to be too harsh on him. Not to single Peter out too much. The Bible says the rest of the disciples did the same. Just that the focal point here in Mark is upon Peter. Not me, Lord. I'm not going to do that. And so Christ here singled out Peter then in verse number 37, just a further down in Mark 14. He singles Peter out in verse 37. Christ had taken his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. The hour's upon him to be taken away. He's going to pray, but he takes those inner three. They go a little distance further. He says, boys, will you just here pray with me for an hour? And the Lord goes a little further. And when he comes back, they're asleep. And he specifically calls out and he says, hey, Peter. Could you not watch with me one hour? I mean, the moment of all times I ask of something of you, the moment in which I needed to depend upon you the most, here you are slumbering and you're sleeping. And the Bible says when he came back the other two times, they continued to sleep. What is the deal, big guy? John even enlightens us that whenever the soldiers did come to take away the Lord, that it was Peter. It was Peter that hastily cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant. Amen. And the Lord reproved him. Said, Peter, you, you need to put up your sword. The fact of the matter is this, that Jesus was apprehended. The Bible says, and that all, everybody say all, all the disciples forsook him and fled and then later we find Peter following the Lord from afar off yet unlike the others while Peter was in and around the palace the Bible records that he was addressed by three individuals that you are one of them that was with Christ you were with Christ and in those three moments that he was questioned or even identified as being with the Lord, in all three episodes, the Bible says that Peter denied it. I don't know who you're talking about. I, I, I'm not one of them. He even cursed, the Bible says, at one time. Three times he denied the Lord. So we have this series of events here. He said, I'm not going to deny you. You're going to deny me. Amen. He's asleep when he should have been praying. And then he's cutting off somebody's ear. And now he's denying the Lord. And the Bible Bible says upon the last time doing this in verse 72 that the Bible says Peter when he thought thereon of what he had done that he wept both Matthew and Luke says he went out and he wept bitterly why Peter's identifying I failed the Lord he was trying to depend upon me. He really wanted me, but I failed the Lord. Furthermore, consider this. The last words before Christ's death are not on a positive note. The last words of Peter, that is, before Christ's death is that he couldn't, he couldn't be dependent upon. Here is the Lord, probably in earshot of Peter, and the last words he hears from Peter is, I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. 
Christ has just invested the past three and a half years of his life, provided food when he needed food, a place to sleep, all these other things. And he's saying, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the man. And so here's Peter leading up to the death, amen, of the Lord. Peter can't be dependent upon. He's unnecessarily aggressive. And he denies the Lord not once, but three times. Yet with this as the background, on resurrection morn, these ladies are headed to what they didn't know was going to be an empty tomb. And when they arrive, a young man who's an angel speaks to them in the scripture setting, says, I've been sent by the Lord to tell you something, and you got to go relay a message. Go and tell the disciples. That would have been sufficient. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knew he was going to have to pull Peter out of his feelings of disappointment over his personal failure. He says, you go and tell the disciples and Peter, listen, that I go before them to Galilee. In other words, I want to see them in Galilee just like, listen, Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. If you back back up to Mark 14 and verse 28, when that little Lord's telling Peter he's going to deny, Peter says, no, not, no, not. The Lord had said in Mark 14 and verse 28, but after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And so the Lord is showing up here now, a little later, after Peter has failed, after Peter, Peter has made some mistakes and flawed. He says, you tell the disciples, and you make sure you tell Peter that I want to see them at Galilee, like I said I wanted to before all this ever happened. When he first spoke that to Peter, Peter hadn't failed. He hadn't cut off the ear of anybody. He hadn't fell asleep when he should have been praying. But Christ was telling Peter, now after all that, I still want to see you just like I did before you made your mistake. I still... I still want to see you, have communion with you, talk with you, just like I did before all this nonsense happened. Someone say, glory. You know what Christ was telling Peter? I still love you, Peter, in spite of your failure, in spite of your mess up. I still desire to see you. I went to, I'm going before you into Galilee just like I desired before any of this stuff even took place and happened. Now listen, the Bible says that all forsook him. All had fled from him. But Peter, humanly speaking, by our standards, went a little further. He denied him. So Christ wanted all the disciples to know you can see me at Galilee, like I said. And Peter, in case you're having any doubts, that means you too. I feel the Holy Ghost with divine guidance today. That people's coming in here, and sometimes the word that is being spoken, the songs that are being sung, the messages that are being conveyed only, only applies to a select few, they think, 
that has met per se the undefined criteria. But Christ has come to this place this morning. It's while you're thinking that is for Bartholomew and Matthew and, and Andrew. God wants you to know I'll single you out if I got to. That means you too. That the same favor, the same opportunity, this the same blessing, the same privilege that you think is for one and not for you. I've come to tell you, I'll call you out, Peter, it's for you too. Peter, it's for you too. Peter, no, 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 God, I, I don't care, Peter. I know what took place. It's for you. It's for, it's for you too. Some of the load that we carry, many times the load that we place on ourselves. And Christ is saying, whatever you put on yourself, I'm here to tell you my mind's not changed about this meeting. Whew. Jesus said, as he said, after I'm risen, I will go before you into Galilee. That's not changed, boys. That's not changed, Peter. But according to the scripture, listen to me. That's where I believe some people are. The, 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 the record and the message of the risen Savior, the Bible says, was not even received. Whenever ladies begin to tell some others, the Bible plainly says, you can read on in Mark 16, that they believed not. Mary Magdalene had told them, the Bible says, they believed not. The two that encountered the Lord on their way to Emmaus and had a divine, amen, presence and encounter went back, the Bible says, and told the residue of them and they believed not. And so as a result, the disciples did not go immediately to Galilee. Partly due because they didn't accept the fact that he was risen, number one. But I think primarily due to the fact they felt they couldn't. someone hear me I think they felt like they couldn't I think for Peter in particular he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus still wanted to see him after everything had happened there's people I know in the spirit today that's sitting here saying I am not deserving of his love somebody else is that, that's for somebody else but not me because I know my story better than anybody knows my story I know my flaws better than anybody knows my flaws and you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around the fact that Jesus still loves you too and that Jesus is still affectionate towards you too and after everything whatever you want to name it and claim it and said that you've done he still loves you too and the Bible says on the day of the resurrection that Peter and John ran to the tomb and that that night there was the appearance of Jesus in the upper room to them all. This isn't Galilee yet. Christ is, he's trying to confirm these things to them before they ever get to Galilee. And later the Bible says it's when he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus and then somewhere along the way, according to 1 Corinthians 15, he had some type of visitation, private visitation it seems, with Peter. Says it was seen of Cephas, which is Peter, and James as well. But here's the big boy. The day when this all happened and they were to go say this message to everybody, go tell disciples and Peter to go to Galilee, over eight days, over eight days passed by from the first appearance right there with the angel 
until they finally made it to Galilee. All because, in my personal belief, more than anything, because they thought Jesus didn't really want to see someone who had forsaken him, fled from him, and for sure not a, not a man called Peter who had denied him. Because what we do as humans sometimes, this is the mechanism. When we think we're not on good footing with someone, we'd rather, we'd rather avoid them. We would rather, I'm not going to Galilee. He said he's going to be there, but I know what I've done. <laughs> yeah, all the while, what our blind eyes can't see is he's saying, come on. <laughs> but do you, I know, come on. <laughs> and so let me allay someone's mind here today and tell you that in the same breath, listen to me, in the same breath, that Jesus told them in Mark 14 that he would go before them in Galilee after he, he had rose in the same breath that he told them that with that same breath he told Peter you're going to deny me same breath what are you saying I'm saying God is not surprised by our failures God is not surprised by your mistakes and your flaws. For that matter, he's not overwhelmed by your sin or your propensity to flub up. If I state it like this, if, I, you, if you just want to take a phrase and tuck it in your mind today, remember this, that Jesus predicted, or maybe better said, Jesus knew Peter would fail him before he ever did. Jesus knew Peter would fail him before he ever did. What are you trying to do, Pastor? I'm trying to lay somebody's fears today and let you know Christ already knows and has seen your failure before it's even happened. While you're wringing your hands over it, when it happens, he already seen it before it happened. He already knew about it before it happened. And guess what? The foreknowledge of God knows when our next mistake uh huh. Knows when our next mistake is going to happen. Maybe nobody else will witness it, <laughs> but he's already witnessed it. Listen to me. But with the foreknowledge of our mistake, he already says, I want to meet with you. Let that sink in. He knows we're going to have a mistake, but he already, based upon the premise of that knowledge, says, I want to see you. I want to meet with you. Someone hear me. If you're sitting in this house this morning and you're struggling with your failures or your mishaps, amen, what God is saying is this, honey, I saw it before it ever arrived. I saw it before it ever arrived, but I still made you a promise of a divine appointment, amen, with you already, knowing you was already gonna flub up, knowing that you was already gonna sidestep, knowing you was already gonna stray from the path. I told you before it ever happened, knowing it was gonna happen, that I still wanted to meet with you because I love I love you 
because some walk in the house and they fight the feelings and questions they don't know why they say I don't know why I'm here and I don't know why I don't know what I'm doing here even on church on this sunny morning if everybody just knew me and what I've done I don't know why I am here yet God listen to me no one else may know but God perfectly knows why because he told you you were going to do it maybe amen or he had knowledge of it before it ever happened but this this is the place he said he would meet you here and so you're here today because he said he would meet me here with my faults and my failures and my tainted life and my stains I'm here because God said this is where he'll I got it We must understand that what we may think we may be hiding from God is probably really something we're trying to hide from other people. Because I feel without doubt that there have been some services over the past history of this church that may in some regards have been calling your name. Calling your name, singling you out. Why? In order to draw you out of your feelings of inadequacy. In order to draw you up out of your feelings. That beyond just a general call, there has been some calls that you have felt and you have heard sometimes that has been your name trying to draw you out of your dark dungeons of sin and transgression. And Christ has said disciples, but he's pinpointed, and Peter also. Something else I want you to consider. Not only did Jesus know that Peter was going to fail before he did, but Jesus saw Peter's failure. Not just as something in the future, but he saw it when it happened. Look at your neighbor and tell him you don't have anything to hide. You don't have anything to hide. The Bible says in Luke twenty-two sixty-one that the Lord interned and looked, looked up on Peter. The moment after the third denial, he turned and looked. The Lord saw Peter's failure. And so, again, if I can lay your mind this morning, we all in this building today are exposed in the eyes of God. The Bible says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. We all are here today exposed in the eyes of God. (laughs) But the phrase is, go tell Peter that God is going before him into Galilee. And he will see him there just like he said. Thirdly, do you understand what that means then? Not only did God's tell Peter or know that Peter was going to fail before he failed not only did God see Peter when he failed but God purposely calls to Peter after he has failed that's just like God he'll he'll prepare a storm a great fish a gourd a worm all for Jonah who intermittently failed the Lord why? Because God cared more for the man than he did his mistakes. 
So whenever God said the disciples and Peter, God was trying to identify the man more than that man's mistakes. He could have said, go tell the disciples and the one who denied me. But he didn't. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because again, he identified and desired the man, cared more about the man than he did the mistakes. He called him Peter, which means a rock, which means a stone. That doesn't sound like somebody unsure. That doesn't sound somebody like somebody topsy-turvy and, and velis- uh, 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 going back and forth and here and there. That sounds like someone that's very resolute and dependable. Christ says, I'm not talking to the man or calling the man because of what he's done. I'm calling the man, the man, the stone, the rock, the one that I know he is. I'm not, I'm not calling the man and allowing him to be defined by what he's done. I'm calling the man, the man who he is, the rock, the stone, the resolute one, the one that's going to be sure. Christ isn't in this place today to start just blagging and gabbing every mistake you've ever done and every sin you ever committed. He's calling your name. He's calling who you are. Because he's more interested in you than he is your mistakes. The Bible says in Jeremiah, I gotta run. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee. This is what happened in the moment that Peter's name was called. I mean, could you imagine being in the crowd and here's Peter over in the corner in the fetal position sucking his thumb? Because of the weight of what he knows. He is done. So this angel of the Lord has given us a dress from the Lord. I'm sure he has nothing to say to me. And when the generality of disciples he's had, he is made, he's probably thinking, yeah, but that don't include me. But boom, came the words, and Peter. Huh? Can you say those last few words just one more time? Yeah, the disciples and Peter. basically what the Lord has conveyed in Jeremiah 31 he says I have loved thee with an everlasting an everlasting love and what we know about the agape love of the Lord is it's a unconditional it is a unconditional love and he says based upon that premise in Jeremiah he says with loving kindness have I drawn you because I love you with an everlasting love The fact of the matter, folks, is this. When Peter was denying Christ, Christ was already preparing to die for Peter's sins. (laughs) Amen. That's on, on that side of the cross. While Peter was denying the Lord, the Lord was already preparing, amen, to die for his sins. But for us, it's a little different. While we're denying, while we're sinning, while we're making our mistakes, he has already, he has already died for that. He's already. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one, will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners and deniers, if you will, Christ died for us. 
Here's the question we're left with for some. If that's the case, Pastor, if that's what you say, and that's the platform you stand on today, then how do I, the one that has failed and is flawed, how do I meet him again? How do I abandon my thoughts of guilt and my feelings of shame? Tell me, Pastor, how can I throw caution to the wind this morning and engage with God? Christ said, I go before you to Galilee. Just walk with me here. First, I would tell you, you got to get to Galilee. I'm not asking you to go home this afternoon and get an air plane ticket to make a literal trip over to the area of Galilee in Israel. Please don't mistake in that and send me a bill later. Please don't do that. But what I'm telling you is it seems a little peculiar because Jerusalem is where some of the major events had happened for, with the Lord. I mean in the vicinity of Jerusalem is where the Lord was crucified and that vicinity is where, where he was buried and where he rose in that vicinity is where he ascended up into heaven. But Jesus told them he said, I'll see with you. I'll see you. I'll meet with you back at Galilee. Because this final scene right here points back to Galilee. It points back to the beginning of the story. Where a good portion of the disciples were first called. It was at Galilee. Listen to me. Ironically today, Galilee means a circle or a circuit or a ring. In other words, wherever life leads you, you can always circle back around to where it all started. Or where it needs to start for you. For that matter, most of Jesus' earthly ministry and activity centered around Galilee. Go back to where Christ is active with his miracles and his signs and wonders and teachings and you will find yourself in the region of Galilee. And he says, that's where I'll meet you. That's where I'll see you. And that's where I've been most active. Historically, listen to me this morning. Historically, Galilee was one of the regions, a city of refuge was located during the times of Joshua. So this morning, if you're feeling threatened by all the mistakes you've made, get back to the refuge. And Christ says, I'll meet you at the refuge. Hallelujah. Galilee was famous, famous for its rich and fruitful soil. I'm telling you, you got to get back to Galilee. Get back to the place where something productive can sprout from your life. Get back to Galilee. Galilee is where it all starts. It's where you can return. It's the place of your refuge. It's a place where you can be poised for new fruitfulness. You've got to get back to Galilee. i got to hurry. My clock's going, dear. I've been preaching long here lately. But if I don't finish what I'm about ready to finish, it will not really put a capstone on what I've said today. All right. John 21. 
is in essence the recording of them finally making it to Galilee. The Bible says they're at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. This is so neat, folks. It's so neat. They have gone full circle here. Peter decides to go fishing. And some others go along with him fishing. They are engaging in what they were doing when they were first called. They're going fishing. Here are some others. They're on a boat. The Bible says they fished all night. They caught nothing. The Bible says the risen Savior is on the shore. He meets them there just like he promised. All right. And he's on shore. But verse 4 of John 21 tells us they don't know it's him. I mean, it's all coming together. Just like he said, you go there, I'll meet you there. They had their fault. They forsook. They fled. Peter denied. They were there. Christ is meeting them there. He's on shore, but they don't know it's him until verse 5 of John 21. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, they don't know it's him. It's just somebody calling from the shore. Children, have ye any meat? They answered him. I wonder who this guy is. You know, I could say, this guy? I mean, we're professional fishermen. There's nothing worse than somebody trying to tell you what to do when it's like your profession. What's this guy? They answered him. No. He sent them. Cast the net. Here we go, boys. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. I believe there's 153 in this episode <laughs> fishes that were brought on shore. And verse 7 says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, but speaking of John, this is in the book of John, seems right. You know, if I was writing my own book, I'd say I was the disciple that Jesus loved too. Amen. And so, <laughs> therefore, the Bible says that that disciple whom Jesus loved said, saith, Unto Peter, John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat into him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Now look, and the Bible says when you get to verse 12, that it says as they're getting the net up there on shore and everybody's getting on the shore, nobody asked the Lord who he was because they knew it was the Lord. I mean, I'm at distance. I didn't know him beforehand now from this little episode of this guy telling us to cast it on the other side and we bring in fish. Nobody has any questions that this is the Lord. How? Because Jesus is the only one that can turn a night full of failure into a morning of success with his words. If I say it a little differently, Jesus is the only one that can even take a life full of failure and turn it into a new day of success by his words. To both the sick of the palsy and the adulterous woman, he simply said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And it was done. Failure went to success by the spoken word. Stand with me and I'll close. And so in this meeting, Jesus, they're all on shore now. They have a fire. They're eating some of the fish. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? 
It's almost like he's asking to Peter once for each time that Peter denied him. Peter, do you love me? And with each time, Peter responds, You know I love you. You know I love you. Peter, what, what do you know, though? What do you know, Peter? Peter was here today. He'd tell you what he knew. He would tell you, I know that Christ knew I would fail before I did. I know that Christ saw me when I failed. I know that he purposely called to me after I failed. Probably because he knows. Deep down, I love him just as he loves So what I'm asking us this morning is don't, don't start entertaining your mind this morning with unbelief about what you think God is capable of. Don't try today, and you can bow your heads today, don't try today to talk yourself out of what God is trying to talk you into. In reality, God just wants to know if you can if I switch the phrase, if you can dish out what you are taking in, he wants to know if you love him because it's evident that he loves you. And here's the catcher, that he loves you even with all your mistakes and insecurities. Peter's the spokesperson on the day of Pentecost, a very popular and vital role all throughout the book of Acts. Yet consider his past. We could stand here today and ask, how can this be? Or how can God even address me and call me out personally after everything I've done and I've committed? I think the famed leadership guru, John Maxwell, hit the nail on the head when he said, God uses people who fail because there aren't any others. There aren't any other kinds around with that being said today go tell Peter I love him God has sent me on a mission this morning God has sent me on a mission today to tell you whoever you may be and whoever you are whatever you may have done that he loves you and he still wants to meet with you if I had the time I would sit up here and mention each name so-and-so, God loves you. So-and-so, God loves you. I don't have that time today. But whoever you are, wherever you may have been, wherever life finds you, and whatever you're contending with right now, guilt, shame, I want you to know he sent this, this young preacher to 1121 Cedar Street on this Sunday morning to somebody that has doubts in their minds. He's calling you out today. I love you. I still love you. I saw you. I knew you was going to fail before you did. I saw you when you did, but I've called to you since it's happened. And I just want to know if you love me like I love you. Amen. 
He's here today. This altar is open as we, amen, bring this service to a close. He's here this morning. If there's anybody that needs to come to the Lord with their insecurities or come to the Lord with their doubts, amen. Let me tell you, just get back to Galilee. Get back to where it first started. Or if you've never been there, get there. Let him call you. Get to that place of refuge. Get to that place of fruitfulness. He'll meet you there. He said he'd go before you. He's already here today. He's waiting patiently. Will you come? Will you come? Amen. Come on, gentlemen. Let's see. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.